Welcome to a Heritage Christian Centre podcast. For more information, visit www.heritagecc.com.au. We hope this message blesses your life. Okay, uh, let, let's look at some of the titles today. I want to look at the first title is The Elect. The Elect. And we get our word election. The Elect uh, is a title that the Bible gives to the church family, to people of God. It says in Colossians 3.12, Paul writes, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness and long-suffering. So there's a whole lot of character traits that go with this title. So the elect has function. It has an outworking. And actually, Paul gives us some idea what it means to be the elect and what it looks like to actually live in that. So there are a number of connotations that come with it. I want to look at two today. We know we have government elections and we have all other organisational elections and that those who are elected hold special positions. Now, need to step back one point though. It doesn't make them any more special as a person. Well, their personhood doesn't change because someone's elected. Your value is not in the position you hold. Your value is in who you are, right? So let's step back from, you know, we've got to separate that. Most of us don't understand this. If the prime minister goes on holidays, nothing really changes in the world. But if the garbage collectors go on holidays, we all fall apart, right? In the old days, it was the sewerage collectors, you know, the 100-cylinder, two-horsepower, where the guys would carry the cans. If they didn't come, you were in trouble. So you know, we understand what's most important in life in certain aspects. But the elect gives us a place, a position. And we're the elect of God. We're, we're specially called to a position of function as His children. It's an office, a holy office that we all have. The Bible actually says we're kings and priests unto our God. It's somewhere where God has a vote and He elected. In one vote, one election, you said yes. He goes, I pick you then. I pick you because you said yes. It says in Matthew 26, 16, the last will be first and the first last for many are called, but few are chosen. So here's the point, chosen or elected. Now, chosenness, however, is not God just picking someone. Chosenness by God is based on our response to His calling. It's based on you or me choosing to accept the offer that God gives us. If we accept the offer, then God chooses us. God doesn't choose us and give us an offer. See, Jesus didn't die for those who said yes to Him. He died for those who hadn't said yes and for those who were saying no. He died so we might have the choice, have the opportunity to choose and then choosing to accept Him, He elected us. 1 Corinthians says this in one twenty six. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty and not many noble are called. So here's the issue, what stops us from the calling? What sort of things hinder us from stepping into our position of function of being the elect of God and living accordingly has to do with pride. Pride excludes us 
Because in pride, we won't humble ourselves and submit to God. We hold our position that we can do it. I'm okay. I don't need God. I'm sorry. We all need God. Many are called, but our response can also be that we reject that calling. It's God who determines our election and He calls So let's not try and get into the thing that God says, well, I'll save you and I won't save you. God says, whosoever will may come. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the election of our life is based on our response to that call. Will we come to him? The second point about the elect is the elect is not an individual term. The elect of God is a term of corporate or community connection. We, the people of God, in fellowship, are the elect of God. So you have been, in a community sense, called. This is not just me and Jesus, as we spoke of in communion. It's us, together. I mean, we make an individual decision, but that decision puts us in a family of God, and we then are together the elect of God. So community is a part of that term. And we need to understand being the elect is based on our response to God to say yes to him and yes to his family. You want to be the elect of God? Just say yes to Jesus. I say yes, Lord. And he puts us in a family. That leads us to the next thought, which is the term brother. Now, it's written in a tense that is very broad in those days. And it says in Acts 18, Verse 27, when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren, the brethren wrote according to the disciples, sorry, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Now, other English versions say brothers, not brethren. Others say brothers and sisters, NIV especially. And I, I tend to think that the, the context, if you look at the day it was written, the context is everyone was called the brethren, men and women. And so here we have brothers and sisters, believers who are part of God's family. We become his children. And that that ties into the concept we looked at last week, being children of God. Together we are the brethren, the brothers and sisters in the family of God. And, And, you know, what I love about this is as we're all brothers and sisters, the old adage is true. You can pick your friends, but you can't pick your relatives. Just look at that person beside you. You don't have a choice. They're in the family with you. We have to learn. Listen, learn to love one another. And learning is a process. Learning is when we change views, when we grow in our view. And so you you can't, you know, this family has agreement. This is the term that this group of believers, you know, that they wrote to the other disciples to receive someone with them. So we had a community of believers, the brethren who had a place of corporate agreement about the qualifications of another person moving from one place to another to minister. So there was this group, this brethren mindset that together we agree that this person is qualified for this function. And that's important for us to understand that. So 
I have my credentials through the state and the national movement. I have a group of brethren who, who recognise the call of God upon my life and endorse that. And that can happen to any and all of us. Uh, recently, I, I looked at playing golf in New Zealand. Any Kiwis here? It was somewhere on the North Island. Um, it was a really nice course that a friend told me about, but they wanted a letter of recommendation from my local golf club before they'd tell me how much it cost. So I got that letter and I sent that letter to this club. On, I think it's the East Coast on the, on the you know, sand dunes area of North Island. Not sure, but you know, anyway, I can't remember the name now. But they sent me back a price list and one game of golf was going to cost me over $3,000. And two, four and a half. It's really cheap if you stay an extra night. Guess what? I said thank you and didn't go. <laughs> Even though I had the, the approval of my local organisation uh, and they were willing to accept me, really just accept my money. Um, <laughs> uh, and it is a really good golf course. They didn't want hackers to mess up. So I decided that was probably a couple of good reasons I shouldn't go. But there was this corporate approval. And so when we talk about the brethren, it's a sense of place where we find a, a, a corporate approval of one another. We have a corporate approval, corporate approval of leadership. And it's in that family context that we find recognition of people, people who are called, people who have functions, our leaders. We, we recognise that they're called to a position. Our children's ministry team, they're called people. Yes, they volunteered, but they're called by God. You know, saying, God, I want to serve in the house as part of the brethren. I want to be a part of the family and, and input into that family. It's truthfulness of someone's life is recognised. I mean, I've only been here 27 years, I think, in September with my wife. And I would hope that over that period of time, our, our conduct and our ethos and our character would have been proved in this community setting. And, and I believe it is, and I'm grateful for that. Even in this week, someone asked me, they rang and asked, well, contacted me and asked me about a particular author and a book that they were reading. And they were looking for someone who was approved to give them a context of approval for another author. The answer was yes, but, and to that person I said, look, I don't believe everything they say, but I wouldn't ask you to believe everything I say without searching it out for yourself. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm just a man and I'm doing the best I can to hear from God and bring the word of God to the people of God. But doesn't mean I'm always going to be right. I am not Jesus. Please, and don't ever look at me like that. Don't ever put that expectation on me because I won't live up to it. Just thought I'd let you know that so you won't be disappointed in the future. And, but this person recognised my function because of the corporate brethren, brothers and sisters of God, their recognition. And an interesting aspect of, of that about family and, and, and being in that kind of culture is that how that impacts the world. See, family behaviours and church life have an impact on how we live. You know, they, they tell me statistically that the eldest child in a family follows God, it's most likely that the rest of the children will too. But if the eldest child goes wayward, it, it's less likely that all the others will. That, that's a pretty scary responsibility on the eldest child. 
because it is a responsibility because their life impacts others. See, we have an elder brother called Jesus and his life has a potential for us to step into it. And I go, God, how do I live? It's also found that if, if dad and mum are both regularly in fellowship and committed to the life of the church, it's most likely that the whole family will follow in the ways of God. And I mean, this, these are not guarantees. These are just basic principles of life. So if you're the father or the eldest child, your choices have a greater impact on the rest of the family. You're watching online. If you're a dad, an eldest child, your life impacts the rest of the family. If we make it a priority to be in fellowship, to be in the house of God, to be in the family of God, to be committed to the reading of the scriptures and leading our families, then, then we have that. See, dads, our example is very important for our children. See, they say statistically with a dad not in the life of a child, that's not necessarily in the home, but not in their life, and being a good father, not just being a male, but being a father, if a, if a girl doesn't have a dad, she normally will enter puberty a year earlier. In other words, she starts off that journey before she's developed in her, in her life. Her physical response to that is different. They also say that if a dad is not in the life of a son, he's, he's more likely to die younger. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty scary stuff. And it's a responsibility, dads, that we have. Our life can impact our daughters and our sons. And so they're looking to us to be involved in their life. See, church, we, we ought to be here for families without a dad. In fact, men... In this church, you have a responsibility to demonstrate what it is to be a man of God to every kid who's come from a single home, single parent home, a single mom. You, we, they ought to look at us and see, that's the man that I want to be like. It's good to have a man somewhere in our life. In a broken marriage then, dads, regardless of who's at fault, you need to accept the broken situation, still become the man and the father you should be, even if you may never become the husband you could have been and should have been. Why? For the sake of the wholeness of our children. Regardless of the past or who was wrong, our children's future depends on us as dads being the best we can be. One of the best things we can be is to be a good brother in the family of God. Speak kindly about other brothers and sisters. Don't let your kids hear you running church life down. Speak highly of one another. If you have a problem with someone, deal with it biblically and personally. Keep it private as much as you possibly can. Show your kids what it's like for a man to hold his temper, to be controlled and self-disciplined in his life. We shape the future of our children and our children's children. Now, I know I've focused on men a bit, but ladies, you have your responsibilities as well. How you respond to your husbands and how you lead your children. Maybe this one covers us all a bit better. Instead of just brethren, let's call us saints. Let's call us all saints. Ephesians 1.1, Paul writes a letter to the saints who are at Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Sadly, that word is in the religious sense of maybe has lost some of its truth. It survived for the first couple of hundred years in Christianity and then religion got a hold of it. 
Religion got a hold of it and somehow linked it to, you know, martyrdom or, or some kind of special level of, of, of life. And, and it might have been tied up in Romans seven, uh, Revelation 17, 6 uh, about confessors or martyrs and monks and priests, but it, it became a title of honour when it was really just a title of position for every believer. In Orthodox and Catholic teachings, and that, that while they admit everyone goes to heaven, they're considered saints, they considered some more worthy. Can I just say, I actually don't believe that. Paul writes to the whole church at Ephesus and calls them saints, young and old. You're a saint. You may not behave that way, but you are. <laughs> See, the title also brings with it behavioural requirements. As the elect brings it, behaviour requirements. Saint brings behaviour requirements as well. The Bible called all the early church saints and there was an expectation that all Christians, men and women, should live diligently in a way that would be considered saintly. And what does a saint live like? Like Christ. Not why the world calls a saint. Someone who's always nice and pious. No, like Christ. A man who used his hands. A man who was moved with compassion to action. A man who reached down to the broken and impoverished and tried to lift them up. A man who gave forgiveness to people caught up in sin. A man who was open to the world, copped the ridicule and copped it with an attitude of peace and grace and mercy and forgiveness. That's what saintliness looks like. Not nice and weak but strength and courage and power. But that power held with a meekness and a kindness and a graciousness and a generosity that impacted the world around it, even at its own expense. Saints, elect, brothers and sisters in Christ, brethren, we are blessed. The Bible says it. We're blessed as well. John 20, it says this, Jesus speaking in verse 29 He said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. If you're a Christian today, it's pretty highly likely you've not seen Jesus personally, physically. Uh, Any any Christians here have actually physically seen Jesus personally, shook a hand, had a meal with him? I didn't think so. So we have believed without seeing. So the Bible says we're blessed. The Bible says we are blessed because we made a choice. Listen, blessing was tied to a decision. We are called the blessed because we have not seen, but we are those who believe. Galatians 3.9 says this, saying then those who are faith, faith is the substance of things not seen. And so we make a choice of faith. Those who have believed in the one they have not seen, Jesus, are blessed with believing Abraham. Abraham didn't see Jesus. He saw God and he walked and he saw the future in some measure and he believed regardless of what it looked like. James says in 1.12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Then he has been approved. He will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Listen, promised to those who love him. Those who love him will be those who endure says one, one, Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Listen, in Christ, believing the one in whom we've not seen. 
you're blessed. Now, we may not always comprehend that. And I'm going to be a little bit political. And if you want to get up and walk out, that'll be fine. I won't be upset. You may have a different political view. But as Christians, we live a blessed life. I'm not saying everything goes well. I'm not saying we don't have battles and hardships. I'm not saying we don't face persecutions. I'm not saying any of those things. But we have privilege. We're blessed. It's not white privilege. It's not black privilege. It's not Asian privilege. It's not privilege because of the country you're born in or the country you live in. We are privileged because we've chosen to accept the offer that God gives. It says, will you become part of my family? See, we're privileged in the context, firstly, of eternity, that we've been adopted into the family of God. Your family makes a difference. Listen, our family background makes a difference on the privilege of our life and also the privilege of the life we live today. You know, we, people talk politically about white privilege or white skin privilege. And and by its definition, it's societal privilege just because of our skin colour, white. Well, firstly, Thomas Sowell, an American economist, who's also African-American, said something that really could upset people. He says this, Have we reached the ultimate stage of absurdity where some people are held responsible for things that happened before they were born while other people are not held responsible for what they themselves are doing today? See, it really doesn't matter so much where you've come from. It matters what you do. It matters what choices you have. So one of the things I looked at in my life was when my, my parents came to the place where dad worked his tail off. We owned a tobacco farm when I was a kid. One of my brothers was born with a hair lip and a cleft palate. Dad had put all the finance in the farm into the next crop. But as my brother had to have these operations and we had to move to Brisbane. At that point of time, Dad had to sell the farm so we could move. The trouble was the co-op then would not buy the crop from him. And then after he sold the farm at the price of the farm but not the produce, one of the co-op leaders bought the farm and sold the produce. So as a family... We lost everything and ended up renting in my grandfather's home. Five boys and a girl in a home that we rented from having our own home and farm with an income. Dad went back in his early or mid-30s to be an office boy. Worked his tail off hard through the system made sacrifices of family life, which I particularly didn't like at the time, but I understood as I got older. I wanted Dad to play cricket in the backyard with me, but he was off doing night school and studies to improve the financial position of their life and to provide for his boys who would eat the horse and chase the rider. We were hungry boys. Five of us would eat so much and my sister could keep up with most of us. And my mother was brilliant with economy. She could buy all the seconds from the fruit market. We would get an orange and it would have a bit cut out or an apple and a bit missing or two thirds of a banana with a bit missing. And my dad and my mum made so many sacrifices. And you know what? They in their life didn't really see a lot. They finally purchased their own home when dad retired with his superannuation. That was it. Then they lived on the pension. 
But my dad did that at 65. One of the hard things, one of the things in my life was, God, I, I want hopefully to do better than my parents and I want my children to do better than me. I, I want my choices that I make, regardless of my background, to improve my family history. My dad made sacrifices. My mum made sacrifices, gave me a head start. I was the first one in my, my family to go to do university level studies. They gave me an open door to certain areas of life. Yes, I started off on the ground as an office boy. I, I did the same. I then did clerical work. I did, I did labouring work. And, and, and God opened doors and, and called me into the ministry life. And fortunately for me, after years of, of my wife and I working, and, you know, we actually did own our home 10 years earlier than my dad and mum. And my hope is and prayer is my children will do better. You know what? I have to make choices today to affect their future. But my dad made choices. He made choices for me and he made choices that cost him. And he worked hard from a place of having lost it all in his mid-30s. He didn't have any privilege. In fact, when dad and mum first met, Mum was seeing with sister not far from a farmer there and dad was going to the shops and dropped into to Charlie's place who was my mum's sister's husband and poked his head in the window or the door actually of the shed. They asked Charlie, did he want anything from downtown and then left and mum asked Charlie, Uncle Charlie, who's that ugly old man? <laughs> she married that ugly old man. <laughs> he was dirty from the farm and bearded and unshaven She married that man. And I'm so proud of my mum and dad that they took their position of lack and deprivation and they worked their tails off to make it better for their children. See, in a culture that has reasonably equal opportunity, people need to take the opportunities given to them. If a person or a group of people don't take the opportunities available, they should not seek someone else to blame, especially the generations before them. See, we start out maybe because of our background, because of our culture, but we continue because of our choices. The decisions we make, the sacrifices we make, you might make them today, your life may not be any better, but what about your future generations? What are we sowing for? Are we willing to take responsibility? Dads, eldest child, whatever, moms, taking responsibility for the benefit of those yet to come. Now we can't deny that cultural attitudes that people take on board impact the outcome of their lives much more than the position of privilege. We also need to be aware in Australia especially Isolation because of distance, lack of local resources and poverty have a bearing on people's position in life and how they're impacted. It also has a bearing on the amount of opportunity available to them. See, we have people of all colour on our streets in Bundaberg. I see them regularly. You'll see a couple just in the corner here behind us and they're struggling. And yes, they've got issues in life and some of those issues, their own choices One's Aboriginal and one's white. Colour made no difference to their situation. See, I think poverty has more impact than the white privilege or whatever you want to call it. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm not denying it exists. 
But there's something we should do in this, in this journey of life because as Christians, we are blessed. And we are blessed for the purpose of being a blessing. We're blessed to use what God has given us for the advancement of his kingdom and the cause of the king and the kingdom. Yes, we have responsibilities. I went to school with an amazing Indigenous friend, Eddie. He did really well. Great young, great Indigenous guy. Came down from the north of Cooktown on from the mission. They'd, they'd sent him down for education in Brisbane. He was privileged because he had a free education. Had his uniform provided. His textbook provided. His stationery was provided. He had free tutoring and more. My parents paid for everything. We were mates for several years. In fact, that friendship assisted me in my attitudes and relationships with all cultures over the years. I've got friends in the Koras and the Koras, the Lingradox and the Abos. Islander friends and Indigenous friends. And they would acknowledge this, their choices that make a difference to their life. Yes, they may start behind the eight ball. They may start in a worse position, but it's their choices that lift them up. It's their choices to move on that make a difference. See, as Christians, we've taken a choice that we had freely to make, to accept or to reject God. He had a gracious offer that we could be adopted into his family. And by its very nature, that means we're placed in a place of blessing and being blessed. We are the privileged people of this world. Listen, if you're a Christian, you have a responsibility as the privileged people of this world to make a difference for those who don't know Jesus, for those who are struggling in life, for those who've had a bad start, for those who are making bad decisions. How do we show them there's a better way? How do we live in such a way that we can draw people to the love of God? Because God loves sinners. How do we show them his love that they might respond to his kindness and find his forgiveness? You know what I love about the Bible is you get to the book of Revelation and it says a multitude of people from every tribe and tongue, every kindred and every nation worshipping around the throne. It didn't matter their background. They responded to the call of God in repentance and accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour and have a blessed destiny. They have a privileged future because of that choice to accept God in this life. And God makes that open offer to people. So I don't care what race or nationality or identity or family we're from. We all discriminate of some level. We all make choices about who we spend time with, who we allow our kids to hang out with, which school we send our children to. Scary, looked at it the other day. Cost about 90,000 bucks to educate a kid through the state system and about $300,000 to educate them through the private system. Why would you do that? Because I want my kids to have a better future and I'm willing to make the sacrifice. See, I have a choice. I, don't, I have no regrets of spending the finance we spend on sending our kids to, to, to the Christian school. BCC, they all went to. Julie finished in another school because they offered the subject she was doing and BCC at that time didn't have it. I think they might have it now. And I would encourage you, think about where you send your kids. And I'm not against kids going to state school. I went to state school and I survived. <laughs> Only because I finally accepted what God did and called me to repentance. If we 
like God as believers, if we make sure the door is open to the privilege of being a child of God to everyone we come across, then everyone has equal opportunity. See, God is equal opportunity. Whosoever will may come. I said it before, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The opportunity to everyone is the same, but the result is based on their choosing. See, God puts the access to His family privilege up to us because He gave us free will. He offers it to all. Many are called, but who chooses Him? He accepts into His family. But then rejection or privilege is up to us in the context of eternity. And we can't complain about other people when we fall short of it. Well, I was never brought up that way. Have you heard the message? See, history shows us many people who started out in poverty, who are stories of rags to riches, of gutter to glory, who ha- how their choice impacted their life and their future generations. It also shows the opposite. Bad choices make a bad future or predetermined or predestined people to bad future. Not not that that changes their choice capacity. Once we accept, we have a journey of responsibility to live in the blessing and a diligence and self-control and a self-discipline to walk in that blessing that's available. I've heard Christian leaders and good Christian leaders who who bring a comparison between Jonathan Edwards uh, and his family tree and a guy called Max Jukes Dugdale. He was an atheist, lived a godless life, married an ungodly girl uh, from their union, something like 310 people who died as paupers, 150 were criminals, seven were murderers, 100 were drunkards, and more than half the women were prostitutes. 540 descendants cost the state one and a quarter million dollars. This was back in 1902. You must have be worth now. Different books, the School of School Journal in 1902 records 1,200 descendants. But as you can see, family trees are a mess. Jonathan Edwards, on the other hand, a minister, lived at the same time, married a godly girl, uh, and found 1,394 known descendants. 13 became college presidents, 65 college professors, three United States senators, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 army and navy officers, 100 preachers and missionaries, 60 authors of prominence, one vice president of the United States, 80 public officials in other capacities, 295 college graduates, among whom were governors of states, ministers of foreign countries, and his descendants didn't cost the country anything. Now, I've often heard... Leaders use that example to say, see, knowing Jesus made a difference. And I'm not saying it didn't, but it wasn't the whole story. And that's what gets me is when they don't tell the whole story. Max came from a culture that was atheist, poor, often uneducated, and to survive, many people turned to crime. Edwards, however, came from a community of faith with a level of affluence and had education. That's, that's a big difference and we need to take that into account when we start using stories like this. Did Christ make a difference? Absolutely. Jonathan Edwards would not have been in that position had his family history brought him into faith and that faith that brought him into community and that community called the community of God was one that brought education and brought 
a level of wealth. Look in the world. Most of the wealth comes from Christian-founded countries. Most of the food is grown by Christian-founded countries. And we bless the world with charity. We bless the world by sending finances and help and aid all over the place. And most of that comes from countries that have a Christian foundation. Not saying our whole history is, is pretty. There's some pretty horrible stuff in our history. But we've come to become more like Christ. And the more we become like Christ, the more gracious we are, the more compassionate, the more understanding, the more merciful, the more forgiving we are to people. In my years of ministry, especially in youth ministry, I found that most good kids came from good homes and most messed up kids came from messed up homes. But there's always somewhere between 15 and 25% of good kids that came from messed up homes and messed up kids that came from good homes. And what was the defining factor? They're consistently good or bad choices. Listen, their consistently good choices brought them out of poverty into blessing. Their consistently bad choices took them out of blessing into poverty. The Bible says this, if the righteous stops doing righteous, then God will not remember his good deeds. But if the wicked turns from his wickedness and does righteousness, God will forget his bad deeds. See, our choices determine our destiny. You might be where, we, where you are because of your past, but I tell you today, your destiny is shaped by your choices. Will you step into being one of the blessed of God? Regardless of the background or the culture, you can turn out for good by your choice. See, I choose to follow the Lord. In all my messed up ways and my failings, I choose to follow him and by his grace, I pray I make good life choices for my future and my future generations. Luke says this in Luke eleven twenty eight, But he said, Jesus speaking, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Listen, notice, hear and keep. See, if you hear it and do nothing with it, it profits you nothing. The truth will not set you free until you accept it and start to do it. When you live the truth out, the truth you live out sets you free. We, we wanted that. Galatians tells me in 4, 1 to 5, it says this, I say that an heir as long as he is a child does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. Listen, just because we're in the blessed doesn't mean our life always looks like that now. It doesn't always mean Christians have tough times. We, we mentioned it before. Sometimes we go through trials. Sometimes our finances are hard. Sometimes things seem to blow up in our face. Sometimes it goes bad. But step back and go, Lord, I am blessed. My circumstances may not look it, but I am blessed. I'm a child of God. And I may look no different to a slave right now, but I am master of all. And God, I'm under stewards and guardians and I'll be faithful in this until the time appointed by the Father. And that may be in this life or the next. Hebrews 11 tells us that. It says, even so, we, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. The world impacts us. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons or children of God. The reason we're blessed may not yet, so the blessing may not yet be realised, but the reason we are blessed is because we've been adopted into His family. 
The Bible goes on and says, the faithful children of God are blessed in Proverbs. It says, those who hope, pray and wait and watch for the return of the Lord are blessed in Isaiah 30 and Luke 12. Blessed are those who are not offended at Christ in Luke 7 and Matthew 11. Blessed are those that are hated for Jesus' name in Luke 11 and Matthew 5. Blessed are those who seek after righteousness in Psalm 106, 119 and Proverbs 8 and Matthew 5. Blessed are the pure in heart and peacemakers, Matthew 5, 8 and 9. Blessed are they that trust in the Lord, whose hope is in Him. Jeremiah 17, Psalm 34, 40 and 84. Blessed are they that fear the Lord God and walk, listen, and walk in His ways. The blessing and blessedness comes because we're in God's family and we walk in those ways of having been born again and starting to live like children of God should live, starting to live like the elect, putting on tender mercies, being kind to people, being merciful, helping the brokenhearted and the destitute and the poor, reaching out for people who are still living in a cursed state to bring blessing to their life in the hope that they might see the goodness and kindness of God and join His family to change their future and their destiny. See, Jesus told us we must be born again to enter that blessing. What do we do with that? Peter tells me, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, sincerity of love, Love one another fervently with a pure heart. That's what brethren is about. It's about if I'm going to walk in this life, I'm going to put off the garbage. I'm going to make good choices because I've been born again of the Spirit of God, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed. The Word of God, Jesus, born again, lives and abides forever in me. Like musicians, singers to come. See, Corinthians, Paul writes, in Adam, we all die. We live cut off from God. Even in Christ, though, all shall be made alive. Ephesians 2 says, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He blessed us and brought us into a place of blessing, put us into His family. We're brothers and sisters because Christ suffered once, it says in 1 Peter 3.18, once for all. He suffered once for all, the the just for the unjust, to bring us to God and put to death in the flesh. He's made us alive in the Spirit. Everyone born has the opportunity to be born again. Everyone has a, has a choice to make about their destiny and God has called everyone. But everyone has a choice to accept that calling and then step into the election of God. Jesus talking about communion in, in one measure. Paul actually writing says you can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils you can't partake at the Lord's table and the table of demons we have to make a choice it is one choice or the other there is no middle ground Hebrews says we've become partakers of Christ if we hold 
So that's the choice. Hold our confidence in the beginning of our faith, steadfast to the end. We share a portion with Christ. We become partakers of everything He's done, the elect, the blessed, the brethren, the whole body says join together by what every joint supplies. You know, Hebrews says this as I close. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He's a babe. Here's a simple principle. As babies pretty much contribute nothing to the family, it's the family's responsibility to help babies grow. But then in time, as the baby grows up, they should become contributors to the family. They should play their part. See, we're not called to church fellowship just to get fed. We're called to engage and play our part, to be partakers in the church, not partakers of the church. That could be from cleaning and serving, tea and coffee, assisting in our children's ministries, youth, young adults, whatever. Sharing our blessing, our time, our talent, our treasure, serving one another. That's what it means to be the elect, the blessed, the brethren. Brethren, it says in 5.13 of Galatians, you've been called to liberty. Don't use your liberty. Don't use your blessing as an opportunity for flesh, but through love, with the blessing you have, serve one another. The last thing the church needs is 20-year-old babies. Jesus calls his disciples to three years and then sent them forth. Church, maybe we need to be more involved in reaching the lost. Maybe we need to be more involved in helping and serving in the house, serving one another. It took Jesus' disciples three years and they were let loose. They made plenty of mistakes, but they served. Serving goes against our carnal tendencies, but something that's clearly a part of the DNA of being a Christian. See, Jesus in Matthew 20, 28, did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve. I wonder if that's our heart. Are we going to grow up in the blessing we have and use what God has blessed us with to bless the brethren? Use your talent, your mercy, your grace, your kindness, your words, your, your finance, your talents, your time, your treasure. Develop your abilities, your skills. Exercise ourselves to godliness. Partakers take part. You want to be part of the family of God? Take part. Maybe you don't know Jesus. And as I've said numerous times, the opportunity is open to everyone. God is an equal opportunity God. But your choice determines what happens with that opportunity. Will you receive it? Will you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour? Will you change the destiny for you and your family? Will you walk and start to live and lead your life into a place of being blessed and being a blessing by accepting the kindness of God, repenting and asking Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Saviour?
Can we pray? Heavenly Father, in this place, these titles tell us who we are in many ways, but we are who you call us by our name. But there are responsibilities that come with that. Whosoever will, whoever calls on the name of the Lord. Today in this place, I want to ask you a question with eyes closed and heads bowed. Maybe you don't know Jesus or haven't accepted Him as the Lord and Saviour of your life. Your destiny is at stake. Will you live being blessed, even though the circumstances may not look like it, but being blessed with a confident expectation of good in the end? A blessing of being a part of God's family, adopted and never to be rejected. Not by God, ever. You can turn your back on Him, but He will never turn His back on you. And today I ask, would you commit your life to Jesus? Would you say yes to a God who who says, whosoever will may come? And if that's you, wherever you are, would you raise your hand, please? Wherever you are, I'm I'm gonna do this every week, whether I see a hand or not. I'm gonna ask people. And church, my heart is that we would reach out and bring people, that we would show them the love of God, that we would lead them to Jesus in the streets and the highways and the byways, the paths and hedges, their workplaces, their family. Is there anyone here today? Can we all stand, please? Christians, now for you, simple question. Do you realise that no matter what it looks like, you're blessed? You're blessed beyond measure. Your eternity is secure. Jesus said, though He die, yet shall He live. We will never die because we have faith in Jesus. Our eternity is is amazing. The Bible says in one place, I cannot see, we cannot comprehend, but the Spirit reveals it to us bit by bit and we start to see the blessedness of our destiny and we make choices today to put off the old and put on the new. To hear the Word and to do it. To have the truth and to live it. So in this moment, just with the music playing, I wonder if you could pray quietly where you are. Maybe raise your hand and say, Lord, here I am. Help me to realise, regardless of the circumstances, I am blessed. I'm one of the brothers and sisters in the family of God. I am part of the elect not because of what I've done other than choosing you, but because you've done it all. Where would I be if you hadn't reached out to me and given me the opportunity and I responded by saying yes. And let that move me that I remember. I remember what you've done for me, that I might respond in grace and mercy and gratefulness and thankfulness and live in a way that shows that in Jesus' Name. Come on, let's sing.